So I'm sure a lot of you guys are here for the, the title of the video, Jehovah's Witnesses Make a Big Announcement. So let me just get that out of the way now and tell you they have not declared the end of the world yet. Not yet. So Jehovah's Witness ideology is kind of a complicated thing. What's going to happen, like, and, and in what order, that type of thing. So I found this post on the XJW subreddit, and I just wanted to give it a read real quick, because up to this point, Jehovah's Witnesses believed that people would be judged on their heart condition, not whether or not they are baptized, basically. Uh, my mom even told me that when I was little, that you'd be judged on your heart condition, like how, you know, how your, your disposition toward the religion and things like that, not based on whether or not your participation in the organization. So I took a look at this Reddit post. Let, let's just pull up the Reddit post and give it a read here. It says, to all naysayers and apologists who say that Jehovah will look at hearts at Armageddon and save billions, my own mother believes this. This is the October 2019 study watchtower page 11, paragraph 14. As you can see, it makes it crystal clear that only baptized witnesses will survive Armageddon. So I pulled that up and I wanted to give it a read. I wanted to read the actual watchtower. Let me give you a little bit of background on, on this watchtower. This is not the standard stuff they hand out to anybody on the street. This is the study edition of the watchtower. So the Watchtower is the Jehovah's Witness publication. I'm sure most of you guys know that, but they split it up into versions that they give to the public and versions that are only available to members. Now, anybody can access the study edition of the Watchtower, not just members. It is accessible from their website, and that's how I accessed it. But it's not handed out or advertised to anybody. It's a really kind of a private thing. And they put all kinds of predictions and ideas and, and whatever else in this that they give to the members and not to the public. It's designed to speak to the member base and not to the public. And that's really concerning when you see a cult basically create an inner railway for information that only the cult members can access or is only intended for the cult members. That's concerning. That's a sign that they're going down the wrong road. It's a sign that they're trying to separate communication from the rest of the world and from Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what they're trying to do here. So this is in the study edition, which is the private cult member version of the Watchtower. So let's, let's read the, these two paragraphs. Keep trying to make disciples is the subheading here. Let's see what they have to say. Read Matthew 28, 19, and 20. As we conduct Bible studies, we have to try our best to make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things Jesus has commanded. We need to help people understand how important it is for them to take their stand for Jehovah and his kingdom. This means trying to motivate people to make the truth their own by applying what they learn, dedicating their life to Jehovah, and getting baptized. Only then will they survive Jehovah's Day. That's extremely relevant. Just that last line there, if, if you aren't baptized, you won't survive Armageddon. That's extremely important, and it has a lot of implications to it. The children of parents who are baptized, but the children themselves are not, the implication here is that those children are not going to make it through Armageddon. They're going to be killed if you are not a baptized member of the religion. Now, I know Catholicism baptizes children when they're babies, right? Jehovah's Witnesses do not. With Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a much more serious thing. 
you're pretty much dedicating yourself to this organization for the rest of your life. You're making a pledge to this organization. You're signing a contract with this organization that you will remain a part of it for the rest of your life. And if you don't, if at some point in your life you realize, hey, this is kind of messed up. They're doing something messed up here. Or I don't know that I really believe this or anything. They will pull the rug out from under you the moment they have suspicions about you. They will cut you off from your friends and family and everything that you own or love or care about instantly. It's just over right there. Now, that is that is extremely concerning to me because the fact that they're saying you have to be baptized to make it through Armageddon means that they're pushing for children to get baptized earlier and earlier and earlier. I got baptized when I was like 14, but I know some people who were baptized when they were like nine. That is so young to make a, a lifelong commitment to an organization that has such deep ramifications for breaking that promise. The following paragraph says, as mentioned earlier, there's very little time between now and the end of this system of things. For this reason, we cannot afford to keep studying the Bible with people who have no clear intention of becoming Christ's disciples. Our work is urgent. There are many people who have yet to hear the kingdom message before it's too late. So if, if you're studying the Bible with somebody who doesn't seem like they're progressing quickly enough for you, then cut ties. Just end it. Just move on to another person who you think you can bring in. They are making a big push right now, and it's scary because they said in the end times what's going to happen is they're going to stop accepting people into the religion anymore. At a certain point in time, they say, their message is going to switch from good news to judgment, which basically means they're going to continue knocking on doors until the end of time. They're not going to stop doing that. They're going to continue preaching God's word the entire time. But instead of doing what they're doing now, which is telling people, hey, join our religion, you know, get baptized, do all this other stuff. Instead of doing that, they switch the message to one of judgment where they just knock on doors and say, it's over. You're going to die. That's it. They're just going to walk up to people's doors, knock on them, and say, God is going to kill you. And I'm, I'm just waiting for them to make that call. The fact that they put this in the, the, the private cult communication magazine, there is very little time between now and the end of the system of things. For this reason, we cannot afford to keep studying the Bible with people who have no clear intention of becoming Christ's disciples. The fact that this is in there is extremely concerning. From a psychology standpoint, I'm going to be really, really fascinated if they do finally switch from good news to judgment. And honestly, they're really, really convinced that it's going to happen soon. And part of the reason why they're so convinced of that is because of what's happening in Russia. I'm sure a lot of you guys know that they're banned in Russia. They, I think that Russia actually banned them because they're extremists. I, I think that you're allowed to be a Jehovah's Witness in Russia. You're allowed to believe it, but... You're not allowed to have any of the literature, and you're not allowed to congregate. You're not allowed to assemble in a group or whatever for religious observance. So basically, the Russian government raided Kingdom Halls. This is very recent. This is in like the past few years, two years maybe, past two years. They raided Kingdom Halls. They arrested people. They confiscated literature. They confiscated property. 
and all this other stuff, which I, honestly, I think that's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. They should not be confiscating things. They should not be preventing people from practicing their religion. I feel like that is a human right. Every other first and second world country feels that way too, for the most part. You know what, maybe just first world countries, because China's kind of serious about it too. But still, lots of people feel like it's a human right to believe what you want to believe. And, I, and I, I count myself among those people. You have the right to believe what you want to believe and do what you want to do, as long as it's not hurting other people. But this whole Russia situation with them getting banned has just fortified Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs. Just made them more sure that they were right and, that, and more sure that the end is closer than ever. I heard a news story recently where there were some Jehovah's Witnesses who were actually tortured by Russia, by the Russian government. They wanted information on where the leadership was and who the leadership was and everything and they took the people and they had them stand in buckets and they poured cold water over them and then they tased them they tortured them and that's fucking sad it should not be like that i don't i don't even care they shouldn't be like that they shouldn't have to go through that nobody should period so, and, and look what happened. You know, this, this is the end result of that situation. Jehovah's Witnesses are even more convinced that they were right than they were before any of that happened. So it's really not productive. It's not helpful. It just digs them into their position even deeper. And now we have Jehovah's Witnesses scaring people even more, telling them that if their kids aren't baptized, then they're not going to be in the new system with them. They're not, which, which is basically what Jehovah's Witnesses would refer to as Traditional Christians would call heaven. It's it's a paradise earth, though. It's not heaven. It's basically like the Garden of Eden 2.0. They're not going to see them in the Garden of Eden 2.0 if they don't get them baptized. So the goal is to get children baptized as young as possible, to lock them into the religion as young as possible, and, and get them for life. If they ever leave, then it's over. They lose their parents, their brothers and sisters, and aunts and uncles and grandparents cousins, everybody. It's gone. That's what we're dealing with now. Jehovah's Witnesses ask court to reverse $35 million abuse verdict. I thought this was really, really fascinating. This is, apparently this happened in Montana. The article says, an attorney for the Jehovah's Witnesses is asking the Montana Supreme Court to reverse a $35 million verdict against the church for not reporting a girl's sexual abuse to authorities. Last year, a jury awarded $4 million in compensatory damages and $31 million in punitive damages to a woman who says she was abused as a child in the mid-2000s. The abuse was by a member of the Thompson Falls Jehovah's Witness congregation who was previously accused of abusing two other family members. Attorney Joel Taylor said Friday during oral arguments that church elders handled the allegations internally in accordance with church practices. He says state law exempts clergy following church doctrine or practice from reporting. The woman's attorney, Jim Malloy, says the church doesn't qualify for the exemption. So he says state law exempts clergy following church doctrine or practice from reporting. This is a very, very different situation. It's really, really complex. I understand what they're going for here, but it's really different. It would protect, for example, Catholic priests, like if somebody says something in confession, it protects them from having to reveal it to anybody else. Kind of like lawyer-client confidentiality or whatever. That's not what this is, though. This isn't the kind of thing where they're telling them in confidence and expecting them not to tell anybody or anything like that. They're not confessing. 
something. They're telling somebody of a crime that they just experienced or that was committed. This is Jehovah's Witnesses' blatant, obvious attempt at, at fortifying their own government, which is what they've wanted this entire time. They've been trying to set up de their de facto own government for since the beginning. They don't want the outside world to take part in their community. And they don't want to take part in the outside world's community either. They want to stay completely separate. Unfortunately for Jehovah's Witnesses, or maybe fortunately for Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not how this works. If there's a crime committed, if somebody is attacked or killed or raped or anything, they have to report it to the police, bottom line. They are part of society. They live in a country that has laws, and they have to follow those laws just like everybody else. Unfortunately, I fear that they're kind of trying to go the Amish route here, like where they completely separate themselves from society, which, by the way, is another cult, the Amish. Don't even get me started on the Amish. I think that that's kind of the route they're trying to go right now. They're trying to separate themselves from society just the same way as the Amish do, except continue to make money in the real world. Unlike the Amish who live on communes and things, but who knows? I think communes may be like the eventual, um, the logical end to what they're doing right now, but we'll, we'll see. Either way, I really think that their claims and their their tactics here are going to fail. I can't see any way that they succeed in this. First up was from Seabird of what's the most wild Jehovah's Witness belief? What is the most wild Jehovah's Witness belief? That's a really good question. Oh, shoot. I meant to think about this before the podcast actually started. Let me think about some other wild beliefs, not just Jehovah's Witnesses. Let me give you an example of Scientology's most wild belief, or what I would continue, or what I would consider to be Scientology's most wild belief. I would call the Xenu story a pretty wild belief. Now, there are more harmful beliefs than that one. For example, the whole fair game doctrine thing, where you can say or do anything to anybody to bring them down if they're a suppressive person, if they're trying to, if you're perceived as harming Scientology in any way, then attacking them is justified. So that would be the most harmful for Scientology, the most bizarre, the most wild or out there belief for Scientology, probably be the Xenu slash Thetan ideas. I think the most bizarre belief for Mormonism is probably the idea that... Mm, this is a tough one. I'd say for Mormonism, the most bizarre belief is probably the idea that they had horses in America around the time that the, the Book of Mormon was set, or that Native Americans or certain, certain tribes in the U.S. were descended from Israelites. That's a little bit bizarre. There, or here's another one. The idea that Joseph Smith was capable of reading an ancient Egyptian document, that's pretty, like hieroglyphics, that's pretty out there, pretty bizarre, I think. And it's heavily debunked in the CES letter. If you guys have not read the CES letter, you definitely should. It's a really good read. You can find it on Amazon. I think it's, you can find it for free in PDF form on the internet. For Jehovah's Witnesses, I would say the most out there bizarre belief is probably, I'm trying to think of something that's different from traditional Christianity. All right, here's one. The second generation teaching. That, that's a pretty bizarre belief. They believe that the end is going to come before the generation who lived in 1914 dies out. And that's already happened. So they had to come up with the second generation teaching. And the second generation teaching pretty much says they didn't mean generation. They mean anybody who was alive at the same time as somebody who was alive during 1914. 
that's the time frame we're working with uh, for the end. And like I've said this before, I think they've got another, if I'm being super ultra generous, they've got 25 years before that, that doctrine, which is fundamental, which is core to their belief system before they have to change that. And then they're going to lose people over it. Realistically, they probably have about 15 years before they have to change it, before they're really thinking about that. They, they could not possibly have more than 15 to 25 I forgot about one of the strange beliefs that they have. And, and I don't think this, this isn't really codified exactly. This isn't in their doctrine. But somebody mentioned the Smurf story. Fepper mentioned the Smurf story in Discord. And I, I realize a lot of people probably don't know the Smurf story. I don't actually know the entire Smurf story exactly. But I'll tell you this, okay? It, it's more of a cultural thing than a doctrinal thing. It's not doctrinal at all. When I was little... I heard a story about this girl who came to the Kingdom Hall, and she had a Smurf in her bag, like a Smurf doll, you know, like one of those little plushy Smurf dolls or whatever. And the Smurf came to life and stood up out of the purse and walked out the door screaming expletives the whole way and was never seen again. This story was told to me as fact when I was little, seriously. And I, I asked questions like, what? 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 Tell me more, you know? They explained to me, I don't remember who told me, it may have been like a cousin or something. They explained to me that the Smurf being an evil thing, because Smurfs was evil, it was an evil show you weren't supposed to watch. The Smurf doll was possessed by Satan and it couldn't stand being in, in the light of Jehovah at the Kingdom Hall. And it came to life and walked out the kingdom hall, swearing the whole way out and was never seen again. Now, if this was an isolated incident, if, the, if I just heard this from a cousin, they could have made it up, right? It's not made up by my cousin. It's everywhere. Almost. All right. Any Jehovah's Witness who was in the religion pre, say, 2010 has heard this story just about. It is so completely washed through the culture of Jehovah's Witnesses. I honestly have no idea how this story spread so rapidly. I've tried to research it, but it's, it's all folklore and rumors and gossip. There's nothing concrete about the story. I just know that it exists through all of Jehovah's Witnesses. It does not make any sense. Really fascinating. But there are different versions of the story, too. Like, some people say she had a storybook, and it was about Smurfs. And a Smurf came out of the storybook and walked down the Kingdom Hall saying swears. Basically, fuck this shit, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and some people say it was like a Smurf keychain. It, it just varies from person to person. But one thing is for sure, it permeates every bit of Jehovah's Witness culture. Just ask any Jehovah's Witness who's above, say, 25 years old, and they will tell you what they know about the Smurf story. Um, this one coming from Peanut Butter. You might have answered this before, but what are your thoughts on Mr. Atheist? I think he can be a bit confrontationalist sometimes. I don't really know the right wording. Okay, about Mr. Atheist... I would consider him probably my best friend. He's, we're real close. We talk a lot on the phone and things like that. Um, I've been on his channel a billion times, although not recently, but he's, he, you know, I'm real close with him. Really, really good guy. I don't necessarily agree with his approaches all the time. You, you're right about that. He, sometimes maybe he can get a little bit passionate about things and 
And, and I can understand that. I can understand that passion and why he feels that way 100%. And that passion is in me too. But sometimes um, I, I try to take a different approach. That's really what it's all about. I try to take a more calm, objective approach to things that honestly do call for passion sometimes. So I, I get where you're coming from with that. But like I say, he's my, he's my best friend. So we can have disagreements and it's okay. Disagreements are okay on things. And really, this isn't even a, a fundamental disagreement. This is just a difference in strategies more than anything. But yeah, I would, I would still endorse him 100%. One thing I did want to note, though, I don't actually watch his channel. I just know him as a person. Like, I just know what his personality is like more than anything. I don't watch his channel. I don't watch any atheist content. And he doesn't watch any atheist content either. He doesn't watch my channel either. And the reason is because... We don't want, we want our ideas to be originally ours. We don't want to, I don't know how to phrase this. We don't want to co-opt other people's ideas and work them into our content. We want our content to be our content. That's why I don't watch his channel. So it's hard to answer that question without knowing exactly what you're talking about, but I get a feel for what you're talking about because I talk to him. You know, and I know his personality and things, so take that for what you will. Uh, this one coming from Seabird again. What was your, what's your favorite movie? I don't know. I don't really watch very many movies. I guess I would have to say, Pulp Fiction was pretty good. Um, Avatar was pretty good. I don't know. I don't watch many movies. I'm sure I have a favorite that I'm overlooking, and I I'll be disappointed in myself tonight at like two in the morning. I'll wake up and be like, oh god, I should have said that movie. But yeah, I can't think of one. Right off the top of my head. Pulp Fiction was good, though. I liked Django Unchained. I thought that was a really solid movie, too. This one coming from All That Jazz 9-3. I was doing a little bit of a straight epistemology and asked Jehovah's Witnesses how they reconcile their doctrine of only helping other Jehovah's Witnesses with Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan, which advocates helping everyone regardless of beliefs. If I were to ask them that, what kind of mental gymnastics do you think they would use to justify their position? They would deny that. They would say, oh, we help everybody, we help everybody. But in reality, actually, they do not. Uh, let me tell you what they do. They only ever do charitable work for other Jehovah's Witnesses. They only ever donate money to other Jehovah's Witnesses. They only ever do uh, home rebuildings. Like when Hurricane Katrina hit, they were sending some Jehovah's Witnesses down to Louisiana, to New Orleans, to rebuild homes of other Jehovah's Witnesses. But they wouldn't. They weren't rebuilding for anybody else. They only ever help other Jehovah's Witnesses. But here are the mental gymnastics they use. By preaching to other people, by trying to bring them into the religion, they're helping them. So that's how they help other people. And they would be able to justify saying, we help everybody by saying, by telling themselves, well, we preach to this group and then we actually help that group. Uh, so we're basically helping everybody. That's the, those are the gymnastics they would go through. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would take that route because it would be, because they, it would be a really easy pitfall for them to kind of uh, hurdle over pretty much. This one coming from Trigor. Uh, I'm gay, and I'm still having some troubles with my mother with me being gay. What do you think's a good way to work around this issue? That's a really tough situation. Um, all right, here's the question. Does, does your mother know that you're gay? Okay, she knows that you're gay, and she's just unaccepting of it? She doesn't really want to accept it? 
it's a hard situation. I don't know how many of my audience know about street epistemology, but it's something that I've picked up and, and run with a lot. It's what I would call my deprogramming techniques, and it's kind of a, a, a moderate, calm, non-confrontational method of getting people to come to true conclusions uh, or correct conclusions. So you're, a lot of people have these ideas in their heads that being gay is evil or, or whatever other thing. If you non-confrontationally ask probing questions, it, it may not work in your case because she already knows that you're gay, but it may be worth a try anyways. Actually, I have a couple of videos on how this works. They are called How to Deprogram a Religious Extremist, parts one and two on my main channel, if you guys want to take a look at it. That may be helpful to you, but she's going to give you some logical fallacies for why she doesn't like it. So try framing those logical fallacies in a new way to kind of illustrate why that logic doesn't follow. And like I said, stay non-confrontational through the entire thing. And and she may open up and understand and she may make the connections in her brain. It's it's really complicated. I, I hope you're going to therapy over this. It seems really, really important to talk to a therapist about this because I know that it's really, really hard to deal with. I did want to touch on some super chats real quick. Uh, I got one from Omega Riley, as always, as usual. Since so many people are watching, I'm shooting this out early. Make sure everyone watching the stream leaves a like. I love you, TT. Thanks. Since Gray Young Wolf can't send a super chat, I'll cover the tab. This one's for you, homie. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you again, Omega Riley. Jesus, this dude is really serious about donating. Also got another super chat from uh, Nervardia. Thanks for being awesome, Telltale. That's great. Actually, you know, just quick side note, since Nervardia's name showed up, I've seen Nervardia around Twitter a lot lately. They're heavily involved in everything that's been happening there. New YouTuber. Check that channel out if you haven't. Kind of interesting. I took a look at it. Pretty cool person. So thank you. I appreciate the super chat. This one coming from Trigor. I wanted to ask you what you think of Jehovah's Witnesses around the world. For example, I live in Denmark, and here they don't seem to be as extreme as in the U.S. I would love to hear your perspectives on different cultures and Jehovah's Witnesses' responses to them. That's a good question. The further away from the headquarters you get, basically, which the headquarters is in New York City, of course, the further away you get from the headquarters, the less of a hold it has on people, but it still has a hold on people. They are a little bit less extreme, but it's still there. They're all still trained in the same way. They all still believe the same things, and they all still largely practice the same way. Sometimes you'll run across a congregation who won't hesitate to report to the police, you know, if, if there's some case of abuse, and that's, that's a good thing. There are some cases where people will be okay with you dating a non-Jehovah's Witness. There are some cases where they'll be okay with you talking to a disfellowshipped family member or something. But the belief system is inherently really harmful in many ways. And the, the bite model, which I've talked about a lot on my YouTube channel, still applies in a lot of ways. Even if the worst parts of the religion don't, don't apply as strongly, they still do apply in, in many ways. And they still max out the bite model in, in other ways. So that is something to consider. That, that's a good point. Minnesota school board leader, why do we teach evolution if it's never been proven? This is from the Patheos blog. It's from the Friendly Atheist again, which I read from fairly frequently. Hemet Mehta's a pretty cool guy. This one is actually by Hemant Mehta, too. On Monday night, 
During a meeting of the Brain Nerd School Board in Minnesota, a science teacher and an administrator overseeing teachers were asked why the district even bothers including evolution in the curriculum. That question came from the president of the school board. Good luck, children. You're going to need it. Board President Sue Kern didn't get why they were teaching what she claimed was an unproven theory from more than a century ago. The clip below, taken from the official video of the meeting, doesn't show the people involved. Um, I did have a question with regard to evolution. Um, you know, Darwin's theory was done in the mid-1800s, and it's never been proven, so I'm wondering why we're still teaching it. That is terrible. It goes on to say, Darwin's theory was done in the mid-1800s, and it's never been proven, Kern said, so I'm wondering why we're still teaching it. And with regard to Christian students, how do you do that, Kern said. They're taught not to agree with that, so... Jesus Christ, all the wrong people have all the power. Now imagine you're the district's director of teaching and learning, Tim Murtha, or Brainerd High School science teacher Craig Rezik, and you have to listen to this. Do you seriously have to tell the most powerful person in the room what a scientific theory is, or how the basics of evolution have never been in doubt since Darwin's time, or that all the evidence we've ever found since Darwin's time has only strengthened the theory, or that you don't cater reality to people whose faith teaches them to avoid it, or that there are plenty of Christians who have no problem reconciling religion and science. Okay, let me, let me just explain this real quick for people. I feel like this is an important point to hit, and I know a lot of my audience probably already knows this, but there's some Somebody out there who is a little bit unclear on it. So let me just like let me just elaborate a little bit on this so that there's an understanding. When I was in school, we were talking about hypotheses, theories, and laws. And a lot of people probably remember this in their own schools, but that's kind of what the scientific method is built around, right? That's what the scientific that's what the scientific method is. You start with a hypothesis or a few hypotheses, and you cross them out until you boil it down to something that that actually works and fits the models and everything and eventually over time you graduate to a theory now a theory is something that is based on facts that we can observe it's a grouping of facts that we can look at and say we know that this happens because we have these facts all laid out here. A theory is the thing that an idea aspires to be more than anything. Like a theory is the graduation point. People think that laws are higher than theories. They're not. Laws are derived from theories. Like we've got gravitational theory. We've got the germ theory of disease. And from those things, we have the law of gravity. We have the theory of evolution, and the theory of evolution is made up of various different facts. For example, the theory of evolution includes natural selection. That's, that's not a theory. It's not incorrect either. We can watch this happen in front of us. Like, literally, we can sit there and watch natural selection take place. We can watch gene mutations take place in front of our eyes. There are studies that people have done with fruit flies, for example. If you haven't heard of the fruit fly study, then you should take a look at it. We can watch gene mutations take place in a population of fruit flies, and we can watch the... the because they have a really short reproduction cycle, because they die fairly quickly, so we can watch the gene mutations pass through generations in the most advantageous ones, 
will carry on to the next uh, generation. If you're unhappy with that study for one reason or another, because they forced gene mutations, even though it was about natural selection, not gene mutations, fine. We have other studies to prove this stuff. For example, we've studied E. coli, which has an even shorter generation. We've watched E. coli evolve the ability to take in citrate, which it could not do before, over 70,000 generations. That was a huge accomplishment. And that, that right there is proof of the theory of evolution, which is made up of natural selection, gene mutations, gene duplication, and all of these other facts that we have observed. And then we can derive laws from theories. So that's what a theory is. That's how it works. And that's, that's why it's so heartbreaking to see these people oh look you've got my recommended thing up here at what i was looking at i've got like tool songs being recommended by uh youtube right now anyways that's why it's so heartbreaking to see what was it the president of the school board saying that evolution is discredited just any basic science class any basic science class critical thinking at any level will show you that it's not discredited it's fact we, we have the fact of evolution, and we have the theory of evolution. It's a fact. I'm sorry. And it's, and it's really sad to see this person saying this. To their credit and professionalism, there are no pictures I can find of them looking at Kern with dropped jaws and wide eyes, but their responses make it clear that's what they were thinking. The Brainerd Dispatch has the rough quotations. The interesting thing about theories is that we have to find information to disprove it. There hasn't been any information found to disprove the theory of evolution. As we learn more about DNA, it only solidified it. It's based on observation. It's based on fact. If we ever find any evidence to disprove it, we would amend that because that's what we can do with the theory, he added. But there hasn't been any evidence to disprove it presented at this time. The theory of evolution will never be disproven, quote unquote. There are facts that we can observe. I mean, I'm sure that we can amend the theory of evolution. That maybe some parts in it that need to be amended. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it's never going away. We have facts that we can observe and build this theory on top of. The fact that this was said at all is an embarrassment and it's depressing. The fact that it was said by the president of the school board is even worse. How do you even get into that position going through college and everything and not understand how basic science works? It's, it's an embarrassment. This is science and science deals with facts. It doesn't deal with belief, Rezik said. It doesn't have to be a dilemma or a concern for someone to choose between Christianity and evolution. That's not what this is about. You can actually embrace both. It's my duty as a teacher to teach science and not teach religion. That's the separation of church and state. Thank you. This dude is the shit. I'm a huge fan of this teacher right now. Rezik. Uh, shout outs to Rezik. I gotta find this guy and send him a thank you letter. This dude sounds awesome. The article goes on to say, at least the right person is in the classroom. Those were smart answers to dumb questions, at least given where they were coming from. Martha played it even safer, saying that the state required them to follow certain education guidelines, including the teaching of evolution, and the district would be in trouble if they didn't teach it. Kern didn't push back on that. Still, the fact that she even had to ask 
suggests that she either doesn't understand basic science or thinks religious dogma should override settled science. That's a huge liability for any school district that actually wants students to succeed. At least the people with direct contact with students understand why Kern shouldn't be taken seriously. Maybe she was trying to gauge the room. Maybe she was like just mentioning it to see how they felt because she didn't, it says here she didn't push back when one of them said they'd be breaking the law basically by not teaching it. Uh, she just left it at that. I bet she was just saying it to see how the teachers felt and and maybe decide if she's going to take it further or not. I mean, this is a p- person in a position of power. It's extremely disturbing that they said that. It's very disconcerting. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I'm trying to make a shirt design for every cult I've covered. I haven't gotten every one, but I'm working on it. So check it out and see if your cult is up there. Second, you can support me by checking out my game shop. I sell controller, cartridge, and game box stands for every system from the original Nintendo and Sega Game Gear to the Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So give that a look too. And finally, if you want to support me in some way other than monetarily, you can check out my other YouTube channels. I have a retro game channel where I answer questions like, why does Shy Guy have a mask? And why are CRT TVs the best way to play retro games? I also have the podcast where I talk about stuff I don't feel I can say on a monetized channel. And finally, I have my main channel where I talk about cults. I wish I didn't have to worry about dancing around subjects carefully in the first place, but I chose to do this as a full-time job. So unfortunately, I rely on YouTube's AdSense and on the support of patrons to continue doing the work I do. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.